Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Thank you so much for listening today. I am speaking to the extremely lovely Katie Thistleton. Katie is the author of Dear Katie, Real Advice on Real Problems, which is a book aimed at 10 to 16 year olds to help them with challenges in their lives. She is training to be a counsellor, but she's best known as being a CBBC presenter and also a radio presenter on Radio One. She presents the Lifehack show. And we get into a discussion and Katie shares so much about her own journey and her own experience with anxiety and depression. She talks about the things that helped her. We get into the topic of antidepressants. We talk about what it was like for her to be on TV every day for six years. And we get into how to feel more confident in front of other people. And I always think that presenters, you know, have to be so confident to to be completely themselves and to be on live TV and radio. And I thought she was the perfect person to speak to about this. I also want to let you know that I've got something really exciting coming up that I'd love for you to get involved in. It is a monthly membership to help you to be your calmest, happiest and most confident self. And it is coming at the end of November. So if you want to find out about that and be the first to hear about it because I'm only really going to be talking about it over on my newsletter at karma-u.com. If you click one of the buttons on that page to get some of my free resources, you'll also get news about the Karma U Collective. I felt so good after speaking to Katie. I felt really positive and I felt good about myself. I think some people that you speak to, I don't know if you found this as well, you just feel like they bring out a good side in you and I felt really great after speaking to her and I think you're going to feel great after listening as well. So I hope you love this episode. As always, please do come and let me know what you think of the episode. Come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Chloe Brotheridge. It makes such a difference when I get messages from you guys saying that the episodes have helped you or you give me some kind of feedback. I'd really love to hear it. And as always, please do consider leaving a review over on the Apple Podcasts app. It makes such a difference to other people finding the podcast. It encourages me to keep going. So I'd love it if you leave a review. And if you do leave a review, send me a little DM and tell me that you've done so. And I will be able to thank you. So hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm really good, Chloe. Thanks for having me. Whereabouts in the world or, or the UK are you right now? 
So I'm in Manchester, which is where I'm from and uh, yeah, where I still get away with living, which I'm surprised. I'm surprised that I get away with living here still, um, given that I work in the media, but I've managed it so far. So <laughs> I love it here. I'm a real sort of family girl and, and a real home bird and yeah, I never want to be too far away. So I spend a lot of my time sort of traveling to London for work, but always try and, and keep this as, as the grounded, as the home. Nice, nice. And we were saying just before we started recording, I'm I'm planning a move uh, back to the north where I'm from. And so I was getting some tips from you about different places. So that was good to hear. I do um, love the north. I mean, a friend of mine um, who did live here is just buying a house in London. She sent me the price of it. And I, I honestly, my jaw hit the floor. So... <laughs> That's one benefit for living from living up here. Like the house that you'd get for the price that of what you would get in London is unbelievable. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, I think that's um, a big big draw for me as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, how things been for you over the last few months with the pandemic. How have you been handling everything? Yeah, all right. It's been mixed. You know, I think at first it was almost like a bit of a novelty, um, almost like a, a weird part of me enjoyed the reset button, enjoyed, you know, having to stay at home. And and I think for everyone, it's almost, uh, it sounds awful in a way, but it's almost a bit exciting at first, wasn't it? Like, oh God, this thing's going on. We've all got to stay at home. And, and I think it was just, yeah, like I said, a bit of a novelty. And then I think when reality hit, um, we realised what actually was happening and how long it was going to go on for and how many of our loved ones might be at risk. Um, then then obviously the, the the mood changed. And I've been through real, I've been on a real roller coaster, as I think most people have. Um, in some ways, I think it's been really good for me. It's um, It's made me sit and think and think about what I want out of life and think about how important it is to prioritize what you want out of life. Um, it's made me pick up a few better habits like going on walks and and really making the effort to keep in touch with people, you know, FaceTiming them if you can't see them face to face, et cetera. Um, and it's really made me think about work and what work makes me happy. It's made me realize how miserable it makes me um, traveling around actually. Sort of being at home has made me realize how, how much I love being at home and how how much I hate um, sort of being on trains and in, staying in travel lodges and things. But it's also taught me that I need to work as well. It, it, there's been periods of time where I've had no work and um, that's been hard on my mental health because I've started to panic financially about how I'm going to survive. Um, but also it's made me realise that I do need a bit of work. I need to be kept busy. <laughs> Otherwise, I just start to go go a little bit mad. So, And now now I'm just getting really sick of not seeing my family. And I think that's being amplified by, because up here in Manchester, we're in local lockdown. We have been for, I mean, I think for about two weeks, we were out of it where we could see, you know, a certain amount of people indoors and outdoors. I just started to go into my mum's house again. And then we went into local lockdown. So for us up here, we can't go to friends' houses or family's houses or even sit in their gardens now. Um, and now there's talk of the pubs might shut in a few days again. And that the only place we can really see people is like outside in a public place, in a park and, and in a beer garden. And now it's becoming wintry and that's not so easy. Um, and because I think this, I love this time of year and I love Christmas and I love the coziness of getting together with friends and family and houses. And last night I was looking at old pictures from this time last year and it was just making me really sad. I was like, oh, I want to do a Halloween get together. I want to do Christmas. So yeah, I'm just sick of it now like everyone else is, I think. But also a lot of it has, has, has taught me some important lessons. Yeah, yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing that. I think um, 
I don't know about you, but I've had this weird thing. Like if I watch people shaking hands on TV, I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? It's like, it's so ingrained suddenly this like new way of being. It's a strange. Me too. Or like someone puts a picture on social media and it's a throwback and they've got their arms around someone. I'm like, oh God, what are you doing? Get away from them. It was, we're really going to have to learn the other way around our social skills back again, aren't we? I think, because it has, it's, it's amazing how quickly you adapt and we have adapted to think that social contact is a bad thing. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, can you share a little bit about what you do and how you got to where you are today as well for people who maybe don't know that much about you? Yeah, of course. So um, I I always wanted to work in TV and radio, um, be a journalist really, sort of do the news. So I did an English degree and then I did a a qualification in journalism, an NCTJ qualification. Um, And I'd done some sort of bits of work for local papers and local radio and that was kind of what I wanted to do um and I just wanted to work for the BBC obviously I think everyone who wants to work in the media that's seen as you know the 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 epitome of success if you can get a job with the BBC so I was applying for everything and anything and I um ended up getting a job as a PA uh, as a secretary basically to the two bosses at children's TV so the boss of CBBS and the boss of CBBC and I worked for them for a couple of years all the while sort of doing my own community radio show and doing some writing and and trying to keep that creativity ticking over and I really wanted to get a job um, as a researcher as a TV researcher and then and then work up to being a producer you know and and sort of go up that ladder Um, and then randomly my boss one day asked me to go and audition to be a CBBC presenter Um, I just got a job as a researcher actually and she so randomly asked me this because I'd never expressed uh, a desire to be a presenter ever to anyone it had never even crossed my mind I'd done radio presenting on sort of local and community radio but when I was doing that I was doing it for the experience of the newsroom you know what I mean and and doing it for the experience of putting the show together I never actually wanted to present Um, but anyway I went for this audition and they gave me the job I think I was just cheap and available to start on Monday so uh, (laughs) I got the gig and then did that for six years and that just changed my life you know in 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 good ways and bad ways it was um a real baptism of fire being thrown onto TV when you'd never even considered what that might mean and and what that might come with and what that might do to your mental health. Um, but it also has led to just some incredible opportunities, you know, and, and through that I've, I got involved with a lot of mental health charities, um, because I'd suffer with my own mental health and also just because I was working with children and young people every day and I really developed an interest in early intervention because I realised that, you know, my anxiety had started really, really early on in, in my life. Um, so I started getting involved with some children's mental health charities and through that started doing the Radio 1 show, The Surgery, which is obviously a mental health show. And then that became Life Hacks, which is the show I do now. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, and so for the past few years, I've kind of been a broadcaster, I suppose, in that realm of mental health. Most of what I've done has been mental health related. I've done a book for for kids. You can see the big uh, vein picture of me on the wall behind me advertising the book. Um, so, yeah, I'm sort of work, working in that world now. Um, and everything kind of came full circle because I always sort of had an interest in that sort of thing, I suppose. So it's nice that I, those two passions align now. Yeah, I love that story. And, and yeah, you seem so natural at it now. And um, yeah, you wouldn't have thought that you'd kind of not not been wanting to do that since you were a child. But... I was very unnatural at it when I first started. I can't watch any of the of the early stuff back because I'm so wooden and terrible. And and it's so funny because the old, it, you, 
anyone could be a presenter if you've got confidence it all comes from that and it was only when I felt like I had the confidence to do it it's all about being yourself isn't it you know the, the best presenters are just completely themselves on air and that's why they're good to listen to and good to watch um and, and in the early years I, I definitely wasn't because I didn't know I didn't have the confidence to be you know to be myself yeah sure can, can you share a little bit about your own experience with your own mental health yeah of course yeah so I think I've always suffered a lot with anxiety. You know, when I was a, a child, I used to complain to my mum that I couldn't take deep breaths. I used to say, I feel like I can't take a deep breath. And she used to take me for asthma tests and I was fine. And she'd blame it on food colourings and stop me having Smarties, which, you know, it was hard for me, hard times for me. Um, and yeah, I was always just a worried child, but also just a really deep thinker. I remember sort of being a child and thinking, what is this all about? You know, why, why do we sort of, is this, is this what life's about? We, we grow up, we get a job, we have kids, we live for the weekend, you go to work nine to five and then you die. And I remember having these really deep thoughts about life and what the point of it is when I was really young. Um, and I don't know how normal that is, but, um, you know, I just was a very sort of deep thinker. I was almost an only child in a way because my sister and brother, are a lot older than me and um, they're 18 years older than me so they'd already sort of grown up and left home and uh, when I was born and and they then started having kids who are now closer to me in age you know so um it's an amazing family dynamic that we've got and we've got a, a brilliant family because of it a really brilliant big family but I think I may be growing up because I had a lot of, I, I maybe sat around thinking a lot and, and being creative and I think that was good for me and it's probably why I do what I do now because I would sit writing stories and reading books but I certainly was quite a deep thinker I think looking back um, and then it was only sort of when I was um, about 17 that I was in my first job and I would have these panic attacks I was doing a data entry job so I'd have a lot of time to think and I'd be doing it again breathing I can't breathe you know this thing's come back so I, then I went to the doctors and they said oh it's panic attacks that you're having and all of a sudden I thought I've had this my whole life I've had this all through my teenage years I had it as a child and only now I'm an adult as someone said it's panic attacks this is your thoughts that are causing this you know this is your mind um, and that's why I'm just so interested in the early intervention because you know as a child and now I meet children I see those things in them I see those you know nervous habits in them I think these are there in us from so young but we we don't do anything about it um, so yeah, always been very anxious. And then I think I did the worst thing possible for someone who's very anxious and got quite low self-esteem, getting a job on the telly. It was probably one of the worst things you can possibly do because all of a sudden I had to look at myself and all these different camera angles, um, you know, deal with people saying horrible things about me on Twitter, all that kind of stuff that came with it. And it's just a very vulnerable job as well. Standing in the middle of a room, talking, being filmed, having to dress up in costumes, sing, dance, you know, with everyone watching you, it, it was just a very vulnerable job. Um, and I think that, that my mental health took a real hit uh, while I was doing all that, but I was too busy to realize it. And then I went through a big relationship breakup, a big sort of, um, eight year relationship that I've been in since I was 17. Um, and just ended up so, so depressed after that. I went through a real um, period of depression that I almost can't remember. And I've read up on this since, and it's apparently a thing that you, your brain almost is a bit like when you black out when you're drunk. When you're depressed, apparently you don't store memories in the same way. And it, it's a bit of a blur to you. And it is a bit of a blur to me. I was sort of 
carrying on with my life. I had a new boyfriend who I'm now getting married to, who is amazing. I was falling in love with him. So I was happy in in some ways. I was like having a great time, but then actually I was going home and lying in bed at night and feeling incredibly depressed. I'd like cry before I left the house every day. I'd be looking in the mirror thinking I can't leave the house. I can't go and meet a friend whose company I really enjoy. I can't bear it. Um, I would hide in the toilets at work at CBBC and have a little cry and, and just wait in there as long as I could just so no one needed to speak to me so I could just not have to... I remember it was painful running into people and them saying, hey, how are you? And having to go, yeah, I'm fine, are you? I remember being... It was painful to say those words, yeah, I'm fine, are you? You know, I hated all, any interaction, which obviously was impossible with the job I was doing. So, yeah, I, I went through a time. I was really depressed. I was living at home. I'd gone back to live at home because I'd, I'd been through a big breakup and my mum every night would come up to my room and say, I think you're depressed. I'm worried you're depressed. And I'd go, I'm not. I'm fine, mum. Get out, you know. Um, and then one night she came in and said, I think you're depressed. And, and I said, yeah, I am. And it was the first time I, you know, admitted it and just said, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think I am. Um, and then that was it. You know, I went to the doctors the next day and got and, and, and got prescribed antidepressants. Um I started having some, actually, no, I didn't. I went for counseling first. I went for, I went for a little bit of counseling first. And then I ended up going to the doctor and getting antidepressants when, you know, I just really needed, I just really needed it. We really needed that extra help because I was in such a, such a rut. Mm. Um, and, and the anti, you know, the antidepressants did work for me and I know they don't work for everyone, but um, the way I describe it to people is I was, going to counseling being told all these things you know all these really important things about how to change your thought processes and and I was thinking yeah I get you and what you're saying is right but I can't physically implement it because I'm too down I'm too down to do any of these things that are good for me it was like I was underground in a hole underground and the antidepressants just picked me up and put me back on ground level and then I was on ground level with everyone else and I could start doing these things to improve my my life but I was I was too far gone, you know. I, I I was just so low that I couldn't face anything. Everything in the world was against me. Everything was a negative. Um, I just felt desperately sad all the time. I remember lying in bed at night thinking I could never take my own life. I could never do that to my family, and I I I, I just couldn't physically do it. But you know, hopefully something will kill me young. I remember thinking, hopefully something will kill me young. And now, God, I am so paranoid about dying young. I want to live forever, you know. Now I'm like, oh, God, I'm, I'm so worried about my health all the time. I want to live forever. I don't want to die young. So it's crazy to me that I ever had that thought of hopefully something will put me out of my misery, you know. Mm. Um, and the antidepressants took that away and, and you know, were potentially a lifesaver there. And I've since then had a lot of counselling. I'm still on the antidepressants, Um and I've had a lot of counselling and I'm, I'm, you know, in a great place, better than I've ever been now. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think um, I think that's what a lot of people don't realise about depression is that it saps your energy and your motivation. And actually, yeah. you might know, oh, going for a walk would probably make you feel better or eating healthy or doing these yeah. things. But actually, it's almost impossible to to muster the that energy and so you can get into this real cycle so I'm so glad that that worked for you and thanks for for sharing that because I think there's still a stigma about medication and people are scared of it but actually mm. it's a tool that can help so yeah it's, it's worth a try if you're in that situation 
Definitely. I mean, I made a documentary for Radio 1 about the stigma around antidepressants and it's something I still feel, you know, I still want to come off them. Um, I've been on them a while now, but every time I've tried to come off them, I've, I've found it hard. I've had a few days where I felt really, really low and I've been too busy to, to feel low and I've thought, right, go back on them and carry on. And um, But I still feel that stigma. And there's a part of me that sometimes goes, oh, do you know what? If I have to be on these for the rest of my life, so be it. You know, there are people who are on other medication for physical illnesses and we would never judge them for having to take this tablet every day for the rest of their life for their physical illness. So why don't we link mental illness in the same way? It's still, it's the same. It's still a physical illness. And then there's other days when I feel like, I shouldn't be on them and I worry what if there's something they don't know about them what if there's something they're doing to me I worry about one day if I want to have children you know if if that will come with any risks taking them um when I'm pregnant you know I worry about that there was a Sheridan Smith documentary on recently I don't know if you watched it called Becoming Mum and it was about her becoming a mum basically being pregnant having a baby when she's someone who's always struggled a lot with her mental health and she's on medication and um, I found that really helpful to watch so yeah it's it's just still definitely a stigma there there really really is and even with people in the mental health profession I've met so many people who work in mental health who are so anti-antidepressants you know and I think oh god no there's a lot of people here now who wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them Um, and for for me my experience was positive obviously I had side there are some side effects that come with it um obviously you'd rather do without obviously I'd rather not pay nine pound every month for me (laughs) antidepressants that adds up but you know, at the end of the day, they they massively, massively improve my my life. So I always say to people that if that is that that's what you need to do to be happy, God, I would rather live. You know, even if they shave, I say if they shave ten years off my life, which there's no evidence to say that they would, I'd rather live till seventy happy than till eighty and miserable like I was. You know, mm, definitely, um, yeah, yeah. And is that why? Is it why? They, are you training to be a counsellor now, or you've done that, or yeah, made you, uh, made you choose uh, to do that? I'm a very, very early stages. I'm only on sort of week four of my level two um, diploma in therapeutic counselling. Yes, yeah, so very, very early stages. It'll be years before I'm qualified. But it's something I've thought about for. Uh, years to be honest because I get asked to do a lot of stuff now where the gap between whether I am a presenter or whether I am an expert is a bit blurred so I've I've been on this morning sort of giving it advice and and the one show and I you know will go on podcasts and go on on things like that and obviously my book was an advice book um so I kind of have that role as agony ant quite a lot but I don't really have the qualifications to back me up I only have I can only speak from personal experience you know of myself and people I've met so I've wanted for years to have a qualification to back me up there. Um, and also, you know, TV, radio, it's it's not stable work. And, and I think always in the back of your mind is what 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 would be your other career? And it's the only other thing I've, I've sat and thought about this a lot in lockdown. And it's the only other thing I can see myself doing um, other than, you know, I love TV and radio and the media generally that that excites me. And the only other thing I'm massively passionate about is is mental health and, and, and helping people with their mental health. So. Yeah, I I think it will help me with my current job. And then, you know, I do perhaps plan to to be a a counsellor one day. Yeah, awesome. Um, Yeah. I loved your book, uh, Dear Katie, Real Advice on Real Life Problems. And I felt quite emotional reading it, thinking about, so basically, I mean, do you want to explain what the book is um, and what it's about? Yeah, so it's a collection of letters from real 10 to 16 year olds. So I went and did a lot of school visits and collected all these problem letters from from children, teenagers. Um, 
and yeah and it's and it's the responses for, from me ad, advice it's an agony it's basically an agony ant page in a magazine which i loved so much growing up agony ant pages was obsessed with them i mean now it's funny i look back i was obsessed with agony ant pages as a kid and a teenager i'd go straight to that bit in every magazine um and that you know i didn't even think at the time that I had had an interest in that sort of thing. But obviously now looking back, it's funny. I obviously always did have an interest in in life and its problems. Um, So yeah, it's that in a book essentially. And it's advice from me. And also there's advice from a psychotherapist in there and a doctor, Dr. Rada, who I do lots of stuff with, who does uh, the radio show with me. Yeah, yeah. And I felt, yeah, as I said, I felt quite emotional reading it, thinking about all the things that young people deal with and, and I don't know if every generation says this, but it seems more complicated now for kids, mm. you know, growing up and teenagers. When I was growing up, we had MSN Messenger and MySpace. <laughs> um, but now it's like there's all these other complicated things, you know, to do with social media and just the fast pace of life. And so to have that that book as something that is really speaking to that, you know, young younger people and addressing those problems, I just found really heartwarming and, and lovely. Aww, so thank you. Yeah. Bless you. Yeah, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed doing it. There was times I was writing that though and I was so close to tears reading some of the letters. Um, and other times I was laughing my head off, you know, some of them were funny. Someone wrote in and said, Can you help me get past level six on Grand Theft Auto on Xbox? You know, <laughs> so we had some funny ones coming as well. It really made me laugh. And so many subtle moments in those letters that just took me back so there was one girl who wrote in about feeling like she doesn't fit in at school and she said when I go into the canteen I feel like everyone's looking at me and it just took me back to that feeling of feeling like everyone's looking at you in school and you just want the ground to swallow you up you just want to be invisible it just took me back to those moments that you forget. And I think you're right. Um, I think these problems always existed. You know, our parents, our parents' parents, they, a lot of these problems were the same. Ultimately, human beings are, are, are made of the same stuff and we are always going to have issues with friends, with our body image, with boyfriends and girlfriends, with uh, the pressure that's on us to succeed. But it just, the medium is different now, you know, because everything is 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 done differently and played out differently so i think social media you know it's boring that it gets blamed for everything but it certainly does amplify that pressure that i think is is a big thing when you're a teenager and young person the pressure to be popular the pressure to be attractive the pressure to be successful the pressure to be um having boyfriends and girlfriends and be experienced in in, in you know in those kind of things be experienced in relationships and be experienced and, and streetwise in the things that you've done you know it's just like it's all these pre- this pressure from you've got different pressures from your parents your peers yeah. your teachers yeah um and i think now the fact that we play out all that stuff on on so on instagram and tiktok etc just makes it harder because you know you, you come home from school and you're not i remember i remember that feeling of coming home from school and just feeling so safe coming home from school and shutting the front door and sitting on the sofa with a packet of crisps and watching TV and feeling so safe, like no one can get to me here. No bullies can get to you. No one can judge you. It doesn't matter. Um, and now we can't have that really. You know, you, you go and go on your phone and you're not safe from it because that bully might have sent you a message or tagged you in summer or, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you were talking now, I was just, you know, flashing in front of my eyes or all these kind of memories from school, those kind of little things that stay in your mind. And and if we could, you know, get more support at that time when a lot of these issues are kind of taking root, whether it's kind of body issues or feeling rejected because that 
guy didn't want to go out with you or having you know so many times in my therapy room I have people tell me about that time when all the the girls in their group ganged up on them and didn't speak to them for five days and how actually it can affect you for your whole life it can really affect you and actually you know getting more support at that age or yeah can make such a difference I think it's funny, isn't it? Because I say I've been having some counselling in um, in lockdown over over Zoom, which, by the way, I don't know if you found this, Chloe, because I know a lot of therapists and a lot of clients don't like it. But I really enjoyed having the uh, online therapy. And I actually think for a lot of people that might be really work, because when you're when I, you know, when I was at my most depressed, the effort everything was an effort you know and to leave your house get dressed put some makeup on leave your house get on a bus or get in your car and go to a therapy appointment it's a big ask isn't it and I feel Mm -hmm. like for a lot of people if they can do that on the phone or on on Skype you know it takes away a lot of the barriers yeah totally yeah I do all my sessions online and um it's quite nice because you're in your own space you can relax you're not kind of in someone else's space maybe maybe I think clients tell me well they tell me they can open up a bit more because they're in the yeah it feels less clinical doesn't it yeah Yeah. and I suppose some people won't have that safe space I mean my counselor was saying that she's had people do sessions in the car because it's the only place they've got some privacy you know which is fair enough but I think if you do have that safe environment at home it feels much nicer than going into a a, a sort of clinical setting Mm. Um, but yeah, what was the question? <laughs> Sidetracked. Um, I'll go on to the next thing. The other thing I wanted to ask you. <laughs> Sidetracked now. This is how my brain off. works. My brain's like a scattergraph. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, are there other things that you do to take care of your own mental well-being? Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, I'm a big fan of just writing things down. So I'm a big list fan. I, you know, I I sometimes think if, say I'm panicking about my career, if I sit and I make a list of all the things I'm going to do, I might might not have even done any of them. I might never do them. But if I can just get it down in writing, it makes me feel better. And I'll also write things down. I write my feelings down if I'm having a particularly bad day about something, just in my notes in my phone. I mean, if someone found my notes in my phone, it would be like, you know, they'd be like, wow, is this girl okay? Um, (laughs) But I find that so, so helpful, just getting it. I always say to people, it's like when you write, if you've ever written a text to someone you're angry at, but not actually sent it, or written an email to someone you're angry at work, but not actually sent it, just getting it down out of your head and onto paper or, you know, onto your phone or computer or whatever I find so so helpful um so and I've kind of over the years because I've done so much soul searching and thinking about what's important to me I have lists of of things to remind me what to do so I have a list for example of things that make me feel better and a list of things that make me feel worse and that was inspired by Matt Haig's book he did that in his book reasons to stay alive and I find that helpful to, to look at and think, right, I'm, I'm having a bit of a crap day. So I'll look at those lists and chances are I won't be doing enough things that are on the better list. I'll be doing things that are on the worst list. And I, I look at that. So I quite like to to refer to sort of notes that I've got written down about mental health to to remind myself what's good for me. And those things are, you know, chatting to friends and family. And an important life lesson I think I've learned is that it needs to be the right ones there's friends in your life who actually can be quite draining or you come away from speaking to and you'll feel you feel a bit more stressed or you've just not been able to be fully yourself with them so actually you've not felt good and then there's friends that you spend time with and you come away and it's like you've had a therapy session you just feel amazing um and same same for family and luckily all my family are are like that you know um 
I always come away. I never, I never feel better than when I come away from spending time with my close family. So I uh, try and remind myself that, you know, people, I think people are the, are the main component that make your life either amazing or terrible. <laughs> so it's choosing, <laughs> it's choosing the right, it's choosing the right ones, isn't it? Um, and that's been an important life lesson. I mean, I say exercise. I've been so busy the past two weeks that that has gone completely, but certainly that always makes me feel better. Exercise is mad because it's the only thing in your life that you never want to do. Like I never want to do it and I dread it, but I never regret it. Like everyone says you never regret it. I always feel great afterwards. So why is my brain not cottoned on to it before and look forward to it? It's weird, isn't it? But it never does. Like my brain's like, no, that's the last thing I want to do, even though I always feel good after. Um, so, so that's a big one. Reading, being in the sunshine, which has kind of gone away now, being outside, you know, all, all the kind of classics, all that sort of thing. Comfort TV, watching Friends or... I watched Legally Blonde the other night and I cannot tell you how what a good mood that put me in. What a feel-good film that is. I just was buzzing after watching that. Sitting with a blanket on that. me, lighting candles, just, you know, the classics, the classics. But, mm -hmm. but more than anything, for me, it's having a list of those things. I like to have it written down and I refer to it. And if I'm feeling a bit messy in my head, I go, right, look at that list and do st some stuff off there because you're obviously you've obviously drifted away from what's good for you. Mm, yeah, I love those ideas. I love I love uh, making lists and referring back to things because when you're feeling rubbish or anxious or low, you don't always remember the no. things that make you feel good or you don't remember those more positive things. And so just having somewhere to refer back to them. I love that. Um, I went to see Legally Blonde in the theatre. I think it was Sheridan oh, Smith who was yes, in it, actually. she did do it, yeah. It was brilliant. Um, I need to Oh, I haven't seen it at the theatre, but I bet, I bet she was absolutely brilliant at that. Um, yeah. Oh, such a feel-good film. Just one of those great, like, 90s teen films where every all the bad people get the comeuppance and all the good ones get ahead and there's a big song at the end and you're just like, <laughs> woo I just, yeah, it put, it put me in a better mood than I expected watching that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We need, we need more of that at this time, I think. <laughs> yeah we do so you touched on this um earlier about confidence and the confidence to you know get up and speak to a lot of people on radio on tv I know that probably a lot of people listening are thinking that's like my worst nightmare you know so I don't know if you have any advice about that about you know you mentioned kind of being yourself and sometimes it can seem as though that's like the hardest thing to do for some of us yeah. sometimes so I don't know if you have any kind of advice or tips about that yeah, people automatically stop being themselves. You know, you put like a microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put a microphone in front of someone or a camera in front of someone, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh God!" And they put on the phone voice and they start acting. You know, yeah. and it took me a long time to to not do that as well. Um, and it really only came from with everything. It, it just came from the self belief, um, and and feeling like. I can do this. And now when I, whenever I go into something I'm nervous about it, I tell myself, you are good enough to do this. Someone's paid you to come along and stand on this stage and talk to these people and they've chosen you for a reason. You are good enough to do it. And then I find that I just can. You know, it, confidence is the, is the one thing, I think, where you've got to almost lie to yourself a bit. If you don't believe it, you've got to say, you've got to fake it till you make it, haven't you? And it's amazing how once you then do that, it does it does start working um and you know the whole thing of imagining everyone's naked i don't imagine everyone's naked but i imagine everyone else there is as nervous as i am which is the case always you know so if i'm going to go on stage and interview a panel of people likelihood is they'll be more nervous than i am because they've maybe done it less or likelihood is everyone in the audience is thinking god i couldn't do that job in a million i couldn't stand on that stage <clears throat> 
in front of all those people. So actually they'll be quite forgiving of you. Um, so I, I just try and remember those things. First of all, you have got this, you can do this. And second of all, all these people here are just going to, they would be as nervous and as uncomfortable with it as, as you are. And I think honesty is so important as well. Like if I am nervous about something, I'll just say it. Or if I make a mistake, I'll just go, oh, well, I made a right mess of that, didn't I? Because then no one can catch you out. You know, no one can say, oh, you you were a bit rubbish there because you've said it yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I think, and I think people appreciate that honesty as well. And people think, oh God, yeah, if I was on the radio, I'd be pressing the wrong buttons as well. You know, we're all human. So I just try and be honest about it. I'm not standing up there acting like I'm Beyonce and I'm, I'm better than everyone else because I'm on the telly or the radio. I'm, I'm just sort of honest about it. And I think that's the best way of, of dealing with those nerves. Because I think that the, the thing that makes you nervous is you think everyone's expecting something of you. Yeah. And what's, what's the worst case scenario? People aren't going to pelt fruit at you, like in the old Shakespearean days, you know, what's going to happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? You mess it up, you go, well, I've made a right mess of that. Let me start again. And it'll all be fine, you know. <laughs> mm, I love that idea of just being honest. I think if we feel like we have to put on a front or put on a mask, that's incredibly draining and it's going to make you feel tense. But actually, if you're just being open and honest, then it I takes that so. pressure off. Yeah, um, I, I think CBBC really helped me with that, actually, um, in the way that that was a baptism of fire. But, you know, I went straight into doing live TV every day for six years. Um, and, and it was very... You know, we read a script a couple of times and then we just do it. And it was very sort of natural. That's how they wanted it to be. And so many things went wrong. There were so many mistakes and we just laughed it off and we were allowed to because that was the nature of what we were doing. They wanted things to go wrong um, because it was funnier that way. And I think that just taught me that there's nothing that can't be saved by laughing it off. I mean, I, 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 um, I fear for news readers. I wonder how they deal with it because you can't just laugh halfway through a news report. That's the deal. Oh, depending yeah. yeah depending on what you're talking about you can't just laugh it off you have to pick up and carry on but luckily most of the stuff I've done you know I can laugh it off and, and there's nothing that can't be can't be helped by that because I think people hear you laughing at your mistake and they they like you more for it mm. you know I I do when I hear that happen on the radio or when I watch that happen on tv you know Phil and Holly everyone loves them because they start cracking up don't they and laughing and you know messing things up and mm. everyone mm. would much rather watch that than than people be pristine <laughs> Good. I like this. I like this message. Um, <laughs> yes, it's okay to mess up. It's okay. It could actually make exactly. you more endearing. I think so. Um, and I remember reading, I think it was in Susan Cain's book, I think it's called Quiet. It's about introverts. Oh, and nice. she, she uh, yeah. cited a study that 50% of people say that they are shy. So yeah, what you're saying about other people being nervous, it's like, yeah, yeah. probably other people are. Most people can't get up on or don't think they could get up on stage and speak and uh that sort of thing so yeah good thing to remember definitely. yeah definitely I think I've been lucky as well that I've always had quite nice audiences you know most of the stuff I've done has been for children and parents of children who've always just been so lovely um and mental health related stuff where again people are so so lovely so I've had good audiences I think for presenters who are you know bigger presenters than me the Hollies the Phils the Anton Decks the you know mind you Anton Deck could probably murder someone <laughs> everyone would be like we love you um I don't think they can do any wrong can they they're, they're they're such heroes but I think when you're that kind of celebrity and presenter you, pro you, you probably do get a lot harsher feedback and and you know an, an audience that might not be as forgiving um but I've just yeah I'm lucky that 
it's a generally quite a nice audience. And same on Radio 1. I mean, sometimes Radio 1 listeners will tell you. I mean, you make a mistake. If you say something that's factually wrong, they will tell you about it. Um, but I think our audience on Lifehacks, again, is a nice audience. Because I think if you're a bigot, you'd turn off if you heard our show. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Because of what we're talking about, you know. So I think we attract a nice uh, a nice audience. So I think, I've been, I think I've been lucky as well that I haven't come across any meanies. <laughs> Good, 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 good. Um, I'm just mindful of the time. I think you have to go. I could talk to you for like another 20 hours, but... I know, um, so I know. Wrap it up. Can you just share a bit about anything else that you're up to at the moment and where people can find out more about you and get your book and that sort of thing? Of course, yes. Yeah. So every Sunday I'm on Radio 1 from 4 till 7 and we do Life Hacks and it's a show all about life. So we chat about mental health and whatever's going on in the world of young people specifically. Um, and then we do the chart as well, the chart update from six to seven. Um, so I have to put a different hat on for that. And yeah, I'm writing a, a, a column for Psychologies magazine at the moment as well, so that you can get that on the Psychologies magazine website. So I'm doing that every month and it's about lessons that you learn in your 20s. Now that I'm 31, it's about um, all the important life lessons of your 20s. So Brilliant. yeah, that's where you can find me. And yeah, the book, obviously, usual places, Amazon, Waterstones, and it's for, it's for teenagers, 10 to 16 year olds. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Oh, Chloe, this has been so lovely. And I feel like I want to know so much about you because you're such an interesting person and I'm so interested in what you do. <laughs> and we're solving about me. <laughs> That's so nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.